Let me know when you're recording, so I have a grievance. I already am. Um, Matthew, what? why are we not spelling Mission Impossible correctly on EnterTheRealWorld.com? What? 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 Well, there's no colon in Mission Impossible. Mission colon impossible, is that the official? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's Fuck why off. they can't have a colon for the subtitles when they get to subtitles, Fuck they have to be dashes. Hang on, I can touch Ghost Protocol and Rogue Nation. Son of a bitch, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> Secret. Okay, we are both so goddamn ready. Welcome back to EnterTheRealWorld.com. This is Secret Agent Men, a podcast where we talk about James Bond, Jason Bourne, and Mission Impossible. This is episode three. The reason we are so goddamn ready is it's Mission Impossible 2, y'all. My name is Matt Waters. I'm joined, as always, by Ben Phillips. Ben, how are you? Can you drink I, water? I can drink water. I, I, I only spilt a little bit down me. Oh, okay. I'm good. I'm good. I mean, I was going to make a joke. Welcome to our podcast about cats no that won't be timely in two weeks It'll always be timely cats must be people have forgotten cats already right no this is a film almost as insane as cats this is mission impossible 2 released may of 2000 so it is yes if you are playing along at home it does predate the born identity by more than a year but we thought let's always switch between franchises between episodes. So no, this film is not reacting to the Bourne identity. It is reacting to itself. However, I will say they basically cleared the goddamn runway for the Bourne identity to swoop in and make a very mediocre film that seems <laughs> amazing in comparison. I mean, you you say this. <laughs> this is the highest grossing film of 2000. That is an indictment on the year 2000. I Look, I we say have, all of have, this. We have circled around entirely to the point where like, we, we started covering Marvel movies, which more often than not were the highest grossing movies of their year, and now we're back right in it with yep. the, the precursor to the MCU. Yeah, and <laughs> confession, real talk, I think I saw this movie about eight times when I was 12 or however old I was when this came out, and I thought it was fucking dope, but I was 12, you know, I, mean, I liked so, what do you want me to do? It's directed by John Woo. I couldn't have possibly known this at age 12. He's John fucking Woo. I'm not going to reel off his filmography. He's John fucking Woo. He made Face Off, the greatest film objectively ever made. Officially written by Robert Town, who was one of the many writers on Mission Impossible 1, uh, wrote Chinatown, possibly the greatest script ever written. Story credits go to Ronald D. Moore and Brannon Bracker, who come from Star Trek. I don't know why they tapped writers from Star Trek to write a Mission Impossible film. They don't get a script credit, but they do get a story credit. So maybe that's I mean, where that's all the weird Chimera bullshit is coming from. But I mean, that's the thing is like Ronald D. Moore is most famous at this point for being the creator of Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> Yes, and Roswell, he was the lead writer on as well. Uh, it, 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 it is weird that they go like, oh yeah, these guys who write for this, like, I mean, I, I mean, who write for Next Generation, which was a big TV series. It was. They're the right people to One did to Deep write Space Nine, Boston. the other did Voyager. I guess they traded back and forth seasons. Wild, but, oh my god, I'm so excited to talk about this movie. <laughs> 
It's two hours. You'll have a great time, I promise. It was originally going to be three and a half. John Woo what? turned in a three and a half hour cut of Mission Impossible <laughs> 2. Oh god, this this movie, right, this movie takes an hour and 15 minutes to get to the bit that I would call it, like, fun. No, I think it's fun throughout just because it's so dumb, but it, but gets, ex- sure. it gets dumber exponentially over time. It gets it's- dumber exponentially. I just, I find some of it actively boring when, like, it's almost like they start making the decision that Jason Bourne made, which is like, I'm not going to use a gun. And you're like, you're John fucking Wick. Why is no one firing a gun yet? Everyone fire guns. It costs $125 million. That's quite an expensive movie in this time. And it brought in 546 As you said, highest grossing movie of the year. Quite profitable. Why wasn't John Woo asked back? We'll get into it. So Brian De Palma was in fact asked to come back, but he declined. Oliver Stone was briefly attached. He wrote a treatment. He backed out. Once again, they had stunts planned before there was a script. John Woo came up with some stunts he wanted to shoot and asked the, uh, Robert Down to to write the script around them. Tom Cruise wanted more action. He felt the first one didn't have enough. I don't know if it doesn't have enough, but it is somewhat surprisingly lacking in action for an action movie. So they put a buttload of it in this one. <laughs> Three other writers were attached and wrote drafts, then Robert Town came in. He was writing, right up until they started shooting. He was writing while they were shooting. He was writing while they were editing. That's (laughs) bonkers. What's the point in writing a script when you've already filmed the film? (laughs) Yeah, as I said, John Woo handed in this enormous cut. The studio obviously were like, no two hours no longer so that's why there's just a ton of plot holes in the middle because he was like ah we'll just take the scenes out and it all makes sense still tom cruise had to pay for overruns out of his own pocket because he was making such a huge amount on the back end so when they overran it was like well someone's gonna pay for this thomas uh and he did the original cinematographer andrew lesney quit after one month of filming because he and john woo did not get along And uh, this film destroyed many careers because, as I found out, not ten minutes before we started, Doug Ray Scott was going to play motherfucking Wolverine. (laughs) And because this movie took so long and he hurt himself on a motorbike, he had to drop out of playing Wolverine in X-Men. Tandy Newton had to back out of Charlie's Angels. And Ian McKellen was originally going to play Anthony Hopkins' role. But he had to back out. If he had taken this role, he would have been unable to play Gandalf and Magneto, which is what an entire generation of people (laughs) know him as, almost exclusively. And arguably it destroyed the career of John Woo, who I don't think has made another Western film. He has made he has made a couple of Western films, but oh, they're really? like they're not the ones that you'd think of. He okay. Wind Talkers and Paycheck. Oh, Wind Talkers. Oh, yeah, and Paycheck. Okay. And then he goes back to Hong Kong and does Redcliffe. Of course. But of note, John Woo is the only director of a Mission Impossible film to not be asked to return. So there you go. Tom Cruise sought him out. He loves John Woo. He loves Bruce Lee. He wanted to do a Bruce Lee fight scene. My God, did they write him one. Oh, just Christ on a bicycle. Ethan Hunt is our agent for this job. Tom Cruise is back. It's a different take on Ethan Hunt. He's fighting, he's seducing, he's firing guns. This is Tom Cruise's peak, like, long hair period as oh, well. Oh, long hair Tom Cruise is underrated. <laughs> Last Samurai is a bad fucking movie, but <laughs> Ethan Hunt running around with this glorious long hair. Yeah, he's kissing ladies this time. Will he ever do that again? I think he does kiss some ladies, but not as full on as he does in this one. And he will never do such ex- insane fight moves ever again. He won't race a lady off a cliff. No. And then Ed her. No. 
<laughs> Nor should he. But you know what? Tom Cruise is fully game for it, and I kind of respect how much of himself he poured into this. Like, obviously someone should have told him, the thing you're making is bad, but he really, really went for it, didn't he? Yeah, I mean, that's the thing is, I think the thing that makes the Mission Impossible series work, and the thing that kind of, like, galvanises it later on, is they realise that Tom Cruise slash Ethan Hunt is just a crazy person, and, like, he fully commits to everything he does. Like, you can tell this is his little baby franchise that he loves. Like, he single-handedly gets Mission Impossible 3 made after this, even though that takes, four, like, six years to make, and his career dies in the middle of him trying to make it. But, yeah, like, he's, he's fully commits to it like the thing i don't think he's bad in this movie um and i think i think like the reason the movie stays watchable even whilst it's pretty actively bad is because tom cruise is obviously having a good time he's just hamming it the fuck up even when he's not doing backflip kicks he's actually playing the bad guy playing ethan and doing the worst evil grin you've ever seen in your life and it's just really fun This movie is fun, even whilst you're sat there going like, this is every single opposite decision you made from the first movie. Yeah, exactly. And he said he wanted each chapter to feel different, and you achieved that. I don't think any two films are more different than Mission Impossible 1 and 2, other than it's Ethan Hunt and it's the IMF. I do like that this is the only one he's actually working for IMF in, though, because in every other one he is either on the run from them or the IMF has been shut down or something, and it's this crazy-ass fucking film. Like, this is their most officially sanctioned mission. Yep. And that mission is a deadly... Can you explain it in five words or less? Super flu. Oh no. Stop it. Except stop it is one word. (laughs) Yeah, for some reason, a pharmaceutical company have made a mega flu called Chimera. And a sample of it has been stolen by rogue IMF agent Sean Ambrose. So Ethan has to get it back by putting together a team that includes Ambrose's ex-girlfriend, who Ethan, of course, falls in love with. The plot is bad. And the film, for the most part, is bad. But we're going to have so much fun talking about it. So let's do that right now. So we open with this just... Why did you open with this? Dr. Nikorovich asking his friend Dmitri to come and get him and take him to Atlanta from Australia, which is not possible, by the way. Um, <laughs> who has injected himself with the Chimera virus, which that he must becomes get- deadly infectiously contagious in 20 hours. He has to be a living yeah. sample for Chimera. Yeah. But the thing is, is that Ambrose doesn't realise that he's carrying Chimera on him, so he ultimately yes. just ends up with Bellerathon. Yes. I'm not going to successfully say Bellerathon other than this one time after now, just by the way. Star Trek geeks definitely wrote these names for these trucks. <laughs> yes, so this doctor injects himself with Chimera, says Dimitri, who right now, we don't have a fucking clue who Dimitri is. And then we cut to him on the plane with Tom Cruise saying, ah, Dimitri. And there is never an explanation as to how these two people crossed part legitimately without it actually being Ambrose in disguise and why he thinks he's called Dimitri. Dimitri, but never mind. Of course, I'm old friends, so I assume that like there was a mission previously that what we is just this mission where happens? Tom Cruise, where Ethan has to pretend to be called Dimitri and befriend a scientist many decades older than him. <laughs> What happened here? So they get on this flight, and then, of course, Dimitri is actually Sean Ambrose, who kills him, steals this case full of the drug, unmasked, and he and his accomplices jump out, including the pilot of the goddamn plane, jump out just before it crashes. I think it's very important to say who is the pilot of the plane played by. 
that guy who is Australian but is inexplicably doing an, a South African accent. Richard Roxburgh. Richard Roxburgh, yeah. Famously the Duke in Moulin Rouge. Famously. Famously Professor Moriarty in League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Famously. Famously Dracula in Van Helsing. Famously. <laughs> and then nothing after that of interest. And who are the rest of his crew? We oh, who, fuck, who the fuck knows? No one. No, no, no. Oh, wait, no, no. Sorry, no, sorry. William Mapper is the other one who is Tom Cruise's cousin. You're goddamn right he is, Ethan from Lost. Who has a credit as, like, a special assistant or something like that in the credits. <laughs> it was really weird. I was sat there going, like, did Tom Cruise, like, literally pay for his cousin to be in this fucking movie? Yes. And Dominic Purcell plays Ulrich, who is, like, the heavy of the group, who never once is he, tangles I, I with did, Tom Cruise. I didn't see his face. I didn't see his face at all. I was like, which one of these stop Purcell? It's definitely him. It's Ulrich. Who they're like, oh, he even says his name out loud at the beginning. He's like, Ulrich, get this. And oh my god, immediately insane with the mask coming off. And now they've got the little voice things over the neck, which I don't know if those ever come back, but they're fun. Just madness. And that's not even the first scene before the credits because Tom Cruise decided this isn't exciting enough. Cut to me rock climbing without a fucking net because I'm Tom Cruise and I do what I want. So Ethan goes rock climbing and we have to listen to Zap Mama while he goes rock climbing. And then a guy launches a missile (laughs) which contains a pair of sunglasses out of a helicopter which contains his mission for no reason. Which he then listens to. He gets complained (laughs) up on the voice of Anthony Hopkins who tells him you should have told us where you went on holiday and then every other conversation they had afterwards is Tom Cruise going like oh I'll tell you where I'm going on holiday next and he's like oh no that's not a holiday then if you tell us where you go and it's like what and And Ethan says holiday instead of vacation which sounds wrong and then in the next scene Anthony Hopkins says vacation which sounds wrong and it's like what's happened and then he throws his glasses and then they they explode and then we go to the the playing. and they didn't well it's it's Hans Zimmer no briefly it is Limp Bizkit they didn't like the remix that much that they couldn't even commit to it the whole way through the credits and they fade it into the Hans Zimmer song. <laughs> oh, what a great movie it is. The rock climbing scene, him in his Christ pose with his long hair. like It's so extra. They're all decisions, aren't they? <laughs> it's so extra and it looks great. It does, yeah. And like it that is great. the payoff of Tom Cruise being insane and doing his own stunts. You get these lovely long shots that are clearly actually Tom Cruise. <laughs> but yeah, it's like... He gets part of the mission, and it's like, oh, come meet me for the rest of the mission. And then later on, he interrogates, and he gets the rest of the mission. It's like, why can't you just tell him everything right now? So yeah, he has to build his team, and he first recruits Naya, as ordered. Gets his the rest of his briefing about Chimera. They, they hatch their plan. He adds this character, Billy, who we know nothing about, and never will. And Luther, our old friend, is back. So, Naya. Mm-hmm. We, we are told Naya is a master thief. And of course, Ethan has to be better than the master thief at being a master thief because sexism is real. I mean, to be fair, he installed the the, the security system in the house. Maybe, but the entire scene reads as he's a better thief than her. And we get this ridiculous goddamn scene where she is mount- they are mounting each other in the bathtub. And I'm sorry, I don't mean this in a core check them out, but her fucking enormous heaving breasts right in the camera are ridiculous. Yeah, that's the thing is, like, they, they purposely shoot it so in the frame you can see Tom Cruise's face, her boobs, and the, the hem of her dress. Yeah. Just so you, just so you can understand. Oh, look, he's, he's like, like yeah. it's a bit sexual. <laughs> 
John Woo clearly on set being like, stick them out more. And just like, what the fuck is happening? And we get these ridiculously, just just hilarious tiny multi-cuts when the, when the alarm goes off. And it's like, quick, zoom in on her eyes. Zoom in on his eyes. Zoom in on the door. And it's like, what? Just so over-directed. John Woo can shoot an action scene. I am not convinced he can shoot a goddamn conversation between you and two human <laughs> beings. This is the beginning of a relentless more than an hour because it doesn't ever really go away but this opening sort of 45 minutes are ridiculously sexist and oh yeah uh, you think it's going to be just the kind of villain <laughs> characters but then anthony hopkins is spouting off some of the biggest sexist bullshit you've ever heard in your entire yeah. life to go to bed with a man and lie to him she's a woman she's got all the training she needs Jesus Christ. Go fuck yourself. Who um, do you think wrote these lines? Do you think it's Robert Town? Yeah, of course it is. You're at Chinatown. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, there's there's moments at the end of like Mission Impossible where it, get, it strays into sexism territory. Oh, yeah. But Sample it's like. the goods. Yes. But it's, we get to a point where, like, this time the entire point of the movie is like, everyone fucking hates Naya. Yeah, everyone. They really do. They steal the goddamn openings, one of the opening scenes from Goldeneye, this car chase between them. I was watching it and I was like, this is the exact scene from Goldeneye. And then I read, it was an inspiration for the film. It's like, no fucking shit. It's the same scene. Um, See, we should have done Goldeneye. Yeah, I know we should. (laughs) So he almost kills her, saves her. We get a rare on-screen Tom Cruise kiss. They just really go at it. Nicole Kidman recommended Tandy Newton for Tom Cruise and she got cast before they did anything else really and uh yeah well done you apparently tom cruise just needed to get his wife to pick his on-screen romantic entanglements for him because there's lots of kissing not just a little and uh they are all over each other and and naya was supposed to come back but tandy newton was like i'm good and i was like okay i mean of course we're gonna do the bond thing of he has to sleep with her immediately and all this but i was like okay she's a master thief i like tandy newton this could be cool uh, uh, uh. Yeah, so Anthony Hopkins is wildly sexist about her. They only recruited her because she is Ambrose's ex. The entire mission is to go back to this man that we can read between the lines and say he might have not been the nicest person. We could even infer maybe he was abusive in some way. And they're like, could you just go literally whore for us? And and that's the only reason you're here, and you could die, and just feed us information. I mean, is, isn't the line something like that? She's already done it once before. Like, yeah. there's, there's no there's no difference in her doing it again. As if women are like, once you've done it once, you're you, you it's fine to go back. Exactly. Like, you wanted it once. Permanent consent. That's how that works. Anthony Hopkins going uncredited, which is a strong choice, which I don't I, I don't begrudge him it. To be honest, I don't think I would want to be credited as being a mission. But like, if he plays such a he plays such a significant role that changes every single movie, then it feels less of like a, he's hiding from this movie and more just kind of like a oh, wouldn't it be fun if we had someone big to kind of do this? Yeah, there's a weird terseness between these two, and I don't know if it's just they didn't have chemistry as actors, or it's just a British and American thing, or Tom Cruise is a little bit. I don't want to call him passive because he's an insane human being, but like, I don't know. I just maybe he assumed this role of like being told off and it just, they come across as hating each other. Maybe because he's like, oh, that lady I told you to go get, like, oh, we're just going to send her back to her ex. It's bad stuff. We get, as I said, zero background on Billy. I am reasonably sure he's just in this because they filmed it in Australia. This was John Paulson's final film role as an actor. So another <laughs> film, another career destroyed. Uh, he's directed many films since this. but Oh, no, he's doing The Dry next year, apparently. 
Well, there you go. He's making his dramatic comeback because we put him in a podcast. He's been on TV as well. He did an episode of The Walking Dead in oh, Fear okay. the Walking Dead. Well, his last film role. And then the immortal line, we just rolled up a snowball and tossed it into hell. Now we'll see if it has a chance or what chance it has. <laughs> just. Did, did I text you that line? You did. Awful. Awful stuff. So yeah, Naya goes back to him and she's like, oh, he won't believe me if I just go back to him. So you have to put me in for real prison and then he will bail me out and and escort me to his luxurious Sydney which, house that doesn't which then exist. my favourite my favourite thing about this is there's so many things to love about this scene is that like I think two scenes later he's like oh it's a bit convenient isn't it that she got out of prison at the same time so immediately he second guesses the plan that they've got yep. so it's just like well why the fuck did you go through all that business anyway yep. okay second the scene so they they send her on a boat to yep. go to his house yep. somehow they've injected her with like a, oh I a forgot that track. they literally brand her don't they <laughs> yeah so that they can track her anywhere which definitely isn't true mm-hmm. um, then they follow her with the satellite the satellite's going too slow don't worry though because she takes this fucking endless fucking walk across the pier before yeah. getting to him yeah. but then the camera cuts in on the satellite just in time to watch the making out so Tom Cruise can make a little face and go like mm. and Billy's like there's a man who knows how to give a welcome it's like what are you saying do you think he should just kiss everyone he meets like, I think Billy wants to kiss Doug Ray Scott I mean I don't entirely blame him but oh Jesus Christ this isn't even the most insane part so they begin the surveillance cat and mouse game Naya is spying on Ambrose Ambrose is figuring things out everyone's wearing rubber masks everyone's learning stuff Ambrose fucks her so hard that he can have a conversation where he chops off someone's finger and she doesn't pay attention <laughs> yes this uh, this homoerotic finger torture scene where he says I am gagging for it <laughs> that's one thing I will say this movie hasn't said that this is a very horny movie oh fuck yeah it is it's the horniest Mission Impossible by far because most of them are sexless but I don't care that this is obviously a trap I want to bang her (laughs) so I will and I guess it's implied that they do I don't know if they actually do because she is very like you know and where's my bedroom but who knows I do appreciate that him cutting his finger off with the cigar thing Mm. is a plot point later on it isn't just a a thing it it does come up later in importance and possibly the best scene in the movie oh yeah why do you think they had him do a South African accent when When he's he's Australian Australian? because it just sounds like you or I doing an accent and like they should shouldn't pay us to be in a proper movie doing a like bad accent so why did they get him to do this because they wanted more diversity and obviously they wanted the australian guy to play south african guy because that's what diversity means yes so we get this wonderful scene at the racetrack which span a lot of rumors about tom cruise being a diva because all the extras kept looking directly at tom cruise in <laughs> awe so they had to issue a mandate please don't look at tom cruise <laughs> And then the headline comes out, Tom Cruise orders extras not to make eye contact with him. And it's like, brilliant. To be fair, in a scene where the entire point (laughs) of it is Tandy Newton and Tom Cruise are stood in a crowd, everyone staring at Tom Cruise does not make it. Oh yeah, they're right to have done it. It's just funny. (laughs) Everyone using binoculars and talking to themselves and not looking like a crazy person at all. He says this ridiculous line. He's touched your heart. You're overwhelmed. You need to think it over. This just sounds like you're a historian hysterical woman pipe down (laughs) like get a grip what's he saying here that like oh ambrose is actually like you are in love with him again and you're not thinking clearly like what (laughs) 
It's ridiculous. I like that she does get to, you know, pickpocket him, but then Master Thief puts it back in the wrong pocket after they made a real point of her saying back to him which pocket it should go in, and then she comes across as looking like an idiot, and that's how Ambrose rumbles her. But she's a hysterical woman who's had her heart touched. They do a ridiculous scene where they kidnap Brendan Gleeson and force him to do an exposition monologue about Chimera, and he says things like, I needed to know how bad it was in the real world, not just the lab. Why? Why did you need to know that? That's an incredibly illegal thing you just said. <laughs> like, why did they even make Chimera? Why did they make more of it after they I made it? I don't know, but I like Brendan Gleeson. I like Brendan Gleeson. I like this character, theoretically. But, like, so the whole point is they made a disease so they could sell a cure. Yeah. Why did they continue to make the disease after having made it the first? And isn't it also, like, doesn't he say something to the effect of, like, oh, eventually, like, an insane version of the flu will come about and we're just getting out ahead of it? It's like... Well, he's basically saying, like, we're, we'll be immune to penicillin at some point, so... Yeah. Thank you, America, by the Thank way. You. Yeah, yeah, so let's... Well, well, let's try and kill everyone and we'll have the flu and then, I mean, you should have seen my partner's face when they started talking about the stock prices later on in the movie. She was just kind of like, that is not what would happen at all in that situation. <laughs> oh my god, wouldn't the government, like, legally seize the antidote from them? What a great movie. And also, like, they do three of, they do like three or four of these scenes where they learn a little bit more about Chimera and I just was left thinking, what do they really know about it after the third one of these that they didn't know at the beginning? It's a bad virus it's out there we need to stop it well that's the thing is like he's, he's trying to figure out what it is i think the only thing they learn is that they don't what do they learn nothing i mean that's the thing is because after this i think i had to make the logical leap where it's just like right so ambrose doesn't have chimera but he doesn't know like, that until they go do the scene yeah but that's the thing is i don't think they understand i don't think the movie actually accurately represents that until like much later on I'm maybe like, in the three and a half hour cut all of this made sense I mean, I hope so. And then Ambrose, he's disguised himself as Ethan again. And a large plot point here is Ambrose was an, was an IMF agent. He has doubled Ethan twice before. He didn't like doing it. Ethan doesn't like him. And they sent Ambrose because they couldn't get a hold of Ethan. So literally, if Ethan never took a day off work, that scientist would still be alive. <laughs> yes. Uh, but also, like, it's that weird thing where it's like, he was planning on going rogue for a while? Yeah, and then he's like, oh, shit shit, megavirus, here's my opportunity. <laughs> that implies either Ambrose has always been Dimitri. Maybe, because Ethan doesn't seem to recognise him. In Ethan, Ethan doesn't seem to particularly care about the Doctor Man. Yes. Like, like he, doesn't, he doesn't go, ah oh, yes, my great friend has died. I feel like that is something that would happen if he cared about him. Yeah, and he says something like, and he knows me as Dimitri, and it's like, do you not know you as Dimitri? <laughs> like... Or, the other solution to this is that Sean Ambrose gets the call to get the, the virus, he's just like, ah oh, yeah, this is my opportunity to make millions of dollars. All I need to do is have done my research on John C. McCloy and know how to defraud his company out of 51% of its stock. Yeah, and I like that he goes straight to selling it back to the makers. He doesn't try and, like, put it on the black market. I mean, he does make that throwaway line at the end of, I've got a line of terrorists who are, who want this. And it's Maybe like, one of them's Max. Maybe. <laughs> Yeah, in the three and a half hours, there was an explanation about who Max was. Yeah, so he rumbles Naya. Naya is, like, alone in the compound for the first time, and then Ethan is, like, really worried that Naya is there by herself, and he's constantly, like, worried about her and monitoring her. And then he shows up, and, she, and he's like, oh, the emotional support. But then, oh wait, Ethan's actually interrogating this pharmaceutical man. 
it's Ambrose in disguise, and he's doing this ridiculous evil grin, and it's awful. <laughs> but the thing is, I actually think that the structure of the scene is quite good, because it does, like, yeah. the, the, the kind of, like, triptych form of it, where it's, like, you're, you're seeing Nekorovich, and you're just like, oh, I wonder who this is. Like, who's taken McCoy kidnapped? Yeah. And and, and you assume because Nye is able to walk through the camp, uh, compound that, like, Ambrose is the one that's done it, for whatever reason. And then, but then, it, like, they, they kind of do the double bluff, where Ethan is with one, and Ambrose is with her, and they're all wearing masks, and it's all so stupid. Everyone's wearing masks. <laughs> but I think, but I think it like deploys itself well enough that kind of like you kind of go like, oh, I guess it's taking place in two different time zones. Oh no, they're both impersonating each other. And yeah. I got- also like that Doug Ray Scott and Tom Cruise do not look alike, but they do that bullshit face-off '90s thing where they overlay their faces with bad fake computers, and they're like, ah, oh, they're like a perfect facial match. Just great. So, so that at this point they go, they go to Atlanta or no. That's where the USDA is. They go to the Biosite storage building. They're still in Australia. They never leave Australia. So this is, like, my favourite bullshit part of the movie, Mm -hmm. which I adore, which Mm -hmm. is that Ethan starts doing, like, the plan for the building, and it's very similar to the set Mission Possible one, where they're going through and go, like, you've only got this amount of time to do this, and if you do this, and, like, this is the impossible mission, it's like, Mm -hmm. there's only 20 seconds we can keep these vents open, then you have to, like, 40, whatever, and, like, you have to go down and back up and everything like that. It's all very, very tense. Meanwhile, Doug Ray Scott is sat there meta-commentating mm-hmm. on the entire plan, and it's just like, he's been in one fucking movie up to this point. Yeah. Like, this joke makes sense in, like, Mission Impossible 7, if you're going to go <laughs> out there and go, like, we know how Ethan operates, so so watching someone comment on the plan makes sense. In your second movie, where it's only the yeah, second Yeah, but it wasn't time... Ethan's first mission, was it? No, sure, like... but it's this weird thing where it's just like, it's almost like the, you're supposed to be, as the audience, understanding what Ethan's yeah. thought process and plans is. And it's like, we've seen him do one plan before. Yes, he went in from the roof on that one plan, but you're acting like <laughs> this is like a well-defined Classic Ethan going through the roof. And then there's the actual meta line that they wrote in. Uh, Luther says like, oh, is that it's that easy or whatever. Which was meant to be a dig at themselves for making the first one have a convoluted plot. And it's like, <laughs> you think this one's less convoluted? <laughs> like, he has to go in and Ambrose is like, he'll engage in some aerobatic insanity before he risks harming a hair on a security guard's head. It's like, let's monitor that over the course of the series, shall we? Let's see how gun-happy Ethan is from here. This scene is kind of a whole lot of nothing. He comes in through the roof, he does a bit of a flip, and then he's just kind of in. It's so much less tense it is, than yeah. the same scene in the first movie. And like, it's so obviously riffing on that first scene, and it just feels so much less because of it. And you just kind of sat there going like, right, and then he heats the virus up. Yay. Really takes his sweet-ass time destroying all of the samples. Yeah, because, like, part of the fun in that first scene is that there are multiple people who we're kind of paying attention to. We know where the scientist guy who monitors the room, or the the, the bureaucrat who monitors the room is. We know where all the team are. And it's like, well, one of the teams in a helicopter and Luther's kind of staring at a camera. Yeah. We're not cutting to Sean Ambrose breaking into the building, so we don't even have that kind of tension going. It's just Luther looking at the screen going like, oh, Naya's coming up the elevator. You better go hide. Yeah. And oh, they'll be out of contact with Ethan for eight minutes, and yet his tracking dot still works. So if that signal can get out... It's because the fan's too loud, I think. <laughs> 
but like he's got an earpiece, surely. Yeah. And then <laughs> and then someone puts works. and then someone puts a bomb under the car. And, and Luther spots it somehow. He spots it out. in the he spots it in the wing mirror in the reflection of the water because it's rained in um, Sydney, Australia. Because um, there's the big LED screen with yeah. the numbers counting down because it's that much of a comic bomb. Grabs his um, alien whale laptop full of porn, gets out of there. Um, just incredible stuff. And then the good shit starts. And John Woo gets guns and everything starts exploding. Yes. <laughs> John Woo gunplay. A very clear nod to the Matrix lobby scene, which would have been, what, a year ago? And I don't know. I mean, maybe it's not, but that's kind of a vibe I got from it. You know, like, although some of the Matrix lobby scene is in turn riffing on John Woo, so who knows? Because, you know, he's double wielding as people crouching behind pillars and flying out and shooting as they do it. And it's kind of both. So it's, it's been a while since I've watched a John Woo film. Uh-huh. Are they as like over edited? Yes. So so this is this is not He loves this shit. This is perfect John Woo. <laughs> <laughs> that's the thing is because that's the thing I, I can see a world in which this movie is so much cleaner and all these action scenes play a lot better but because they're doing the whole thing where it's like he did something cool we're going to go back show you from three different angles and the final mm-hmm. one's going to be in slow-mo and it's like this yep. is like the sports replay the movie <laughs> Yeah, Ethan, who never even held a gun in the first movie, is now dual-wielding, shooting motherfuckers left and right. Everything's exploding, sparks everywhere, people are going down. It's just missing the doves, but we know those are coming, so... It's amazing. And you've just got Doug Ray Scott just yelling, like, stop shooting, you idiots, because the virus is right there, and it will go airborne, and we will all die. Yeah, because that's the thing. It's like, this this movie is, I think it's flat-out dull. Whilst it's being <laughs> stupid, it's flat-out dull for the first hour and 15 minutes. Yeah. And it only gets fun when John Woo gets to, like, kind of, like, unbutton his shirt and go, like, right, and now the crazy action's happening. The plot is still incomprehensible and boring, <laughs> but, like, yeah. at least there is someone who understands how to shoot an action scene that makes you interested. Interesting. For as melodramatic as it is, that bit where Naya injects herself with the virus because Ambrose like forces her at gunpoint to go pick it up so Tom Cruise doesn't or Ethan doesn't like shoot him or the virus or whatever it's gonna be. Mm-hmm. Injects herself and then he's just like, I will find you, throws a bomb at the wall and then jumps <laughs> at the wall. <laughs> He has Naya go and grab the last remaining... It's This is all the Chimera in the world, isn't it, at this point? Yeah, it is. They could probably he's... manufacture more from it, but... He blew it up in the explodey thing. Yeah, he raised the temperature in the cultures of the manufacturing thing, and then there were three guns left, and he discharged two of them, and then he had a real think about the third one, and he had a flashback of a scene he hasn't seen. Actually, maybe he did get that briefing video, I don't know. Or did he? No, because it's just that guy talking directly to camera. That was just for us. Amazing. So Ambrose, you know, they're in this Mexican standoff. Ambrose sends Naya out to grab the last gun. Potentially wisely, because why would he keep her alive after this? She injects herself. You know, she says, I wasn't thinking, I was just trying to stop you from getting hurt. And I was like, how did this stop Ethan from getting hurt? Why didn't you just say, well, obviously he would have killed me. It's fine. Come and save me or something. But uh, that scene was inspired by Metal Gear Solid of all things. What? Who knows? Now the movie gets even more bonkers. Because Ambrose starts extorting a deal with McCoy. So Ethan has to just get in there, fuck shit up, and steal the antidote. So among his moves that he's never had before and he will never have again, the unnecessary front flip kick onto a downed soldier. He does a completely unnecessary roll. He does a backflip kick, which is dope, and I don't believe that Ethan Hunt could do a backflip kick. We get the we get the doves, well they're pigeons, but the huge like out of nowhere. 
doves just so I can face off. I mean, it's, it's like this whole thing where it's like, well, they're in a public place, therefore there's got to be pigeons. It's like you're in a like weird a security... military silo or something. Yeah, I don't wonder why are you there. Who's got control of this military silo? Why does no one else <laughs> care that you're there? Yeah, his other two teammates. Like, is Billy literally just he's there because he can fly a helicopter? Yeah, that's what Jean Reno was there for the last time, and they used him a lot. So that's true. We'll have to keep track of this. Apparently, the teams have to be made up of man who can fly helicopter and man who can hack. Yeah, and woman. Yeah, so... Skills optional. <laughs> yeah, the woman has to have a connection to the bad guy. <laughs> yeah, that is First true. The, movie the, woman, the woman has to have slept with the bad guy. Yeah, we'll keep track of that. Maybe Philip Seymour Hoffman got him some Michelle Monaghan. Oh, she's not on the team, is she? She's just... No, like... she's just his wife. Oh, good. In a, role, in a role which almost certainly was supposed to be Tandy Newton. Oh, yes. Although then that whole opening joke doesn't work. That's next time. Well, not next time, but yeah. <laughs> We get, he bursts through the flaming door. They get the fire reflected in the eyes. Like, this is all great John Woo stuff. It, it, it's all so extra, and it's all so fun at this point. I'm just like, I can switch my brain off and go, well, I don't care about anything else that's going on. This is fun. I'm enjoying the, the moving images that are happening on my screen. <laughs> Even if this is patently not a Mission Impossible movie. Yeah. Speaking of which, while Ethan's running around getting chased by Stamp and, and whoever, Ambrose monologues to the villain, and it is revealed that the bad guys want the those sweet, sweet stock options, baby. <laughs> like, give us the money, we'll buy so, 51% of the shares of your company, and then the shares will go through the roof and we'll be billionaires after we release Chimera everywhere and you sell the- and you distribute the vaccine. No! <laughs> I'm sorry, but no. All good bad guys want stock options, that's just... I mean, but that's things I also like. I'm fairly sure there are like legal restrictions involved in like, they don't have to sell you shares if they don't want to. Mm-hmm. And also, they don't just make shares. Yeah, and then we get this ridiculous switcheroo with Stamp, which is incredibly obvious because of the mumbling. And he's like, oh, I broke his I bro- jaw. I broke his, I broke his jaw. <laughs> And but then, it's so, yeah, it's so he extra. Knows because of the fingertip. And also, I'm sorry, wasn't there only one door to that room? Which is the entire reason he had to wait for them to open it before he threw his grenade. And yet, they are all standing facing that door. And then Ethan is running down the corridor taking that mask off. I don't know what, I don't know what happened. I wasn't paying attention. It was just cool looking. There's no time for that. It's now time for a high-speed, ridiculous motorcycle chase to get to Naya before which, she kills which, herself. The <laughs> highlight of this thing is so they're on this military compound which is kind of an island like they shoot it like yeah. he has to get there via a helicopter yeah it's connected to the land by a bridge yeah they have rocket launchers on the helicopter but that's for later yes <laughs> two guys two guys come at him on motorcycles yeah who are ready for him yeah they had to and, know and, ethan was coming like... and just patrolling the island on it on motorbikes yep this is the uh, unused ending of the Bourne Identity, <laughs> rocket launchers and motorbikes. I mean, I, I like it. Do I you? enjoy it. My favourite bit is when it becomes the, the fight scene between Jack and Locke on the last episode of Lost. <laughs> well, we get a million drifting gunshot spots and before that. Just, just so many, just skidding around a corner and firing the gun as he goes. When he hops off the side and is is like just holding the the handlebars and his shoes are on the road. Does he have the shoes for that? Are they would they not just be on fire? Would he not just just break his ankles? I'd, oh, and then they ride their motorcycles at each other, probably between them a hundred miles an hour of speed, and they somehow gain the inertia to jump off the motorcycles from a seated position. Yep. 
collide, yep. fall about, let's be generous, 30, 40 feet, yep. maybe even 50. But then the motorcycles hit at a different point. And blow up. And blow up. <laughs> the shock of which would fuck you up, probably. And then they proceed to deliver, just twisting drop kicks and roundhouses and hitting each other with rocks and doing body slams and punches. Do you know what what my favourite bit about this scene is? That it's like a fucking Power Rangers scene. Well, it is like a Power Rangers scene. It's shot in like a fucking quarry. Um, (laughs) But the highlight of it is, is by the end of it, Doug Ray Scott is like covered in blood and is like obviously fucked up. And then Ethan Hunt is just like, nothing's happened to him. Yeah. He looks completely fine because it's like, Tom Cruise can't lose. He can get punched a little bit. We're not going to show blood or any like physical sign of wear and tear. He obviously has to win this They did have to, they pulled back a lot of the violence because it was originally rated R and they were like now nah, we need a lower rating i um, want to see the r-rated cut of this i want movie. to see the three and a half hour r-rated cut of the movie so badly how has no one gone and gone like you know what this movie release the woo cut yeah I, that that's what i want to get now is like i want this movie to be so like someone to just go like you know what we should <laughs> we should fix this movie yeah <laughs> It's six minutes long and it's perfectly coherent. I've just found out that they cancelled the North American Laserdisc release of um, Mission Possible 2. Deprived. Much like Ambrose is deprived of life after he... So he takes another giant kick, falls backwards, cracks his head on a rock, is clearly dead, but then he's alive and he goes to shoot Ethan. Ethan tosses the Bellerathon to Luther. At the same time, kicks a gun that's buried in the sand. The Which we, we saw drop there earlier. It's not yes. like... Right, the, we, we, let's give the movie some more credit than we're giving it. Sorry. The gun wasn't just lying there in the sand. No, he didn't unearth pirate treasure in the form <laughs> of a perfectly placed gun. He kicks this gun into the air, jumps sideways, avoids the bullet, grabs that gun, lands, two, three shots, kills Ambrose, finally. I did genuinely think for a second when he misses the bullet that I was like, oh, he wasn't aiming for him, he was aiming for Naya, who's in the helicopter. Is she? Yeah, because that's that's the other subplot that's going on, is Naya's been dumped in the middle of, like, Sydney or whatever. Yeah. And then she walks, she's like, I'm going to die, so I'm going to walk to some cliffs. Well, she's like, I'm going to infect everyone, so I should kill myself first. I should go kill myself. But then, then the guards were given the instruction of make sure she doesn't have time to go kill herself. Luther finds Gets through the helicopter. No, not Luther. Sorry. Yeah, Luther's in the. Well, helicopter yeah, I, as well. I guess Luther's in the Luther helicopter. And Billy. He's yeah. Luther's the one firing the rocket launches, isn't he? Yeah. At the cars. Yeah, and they get uh, the the antidote, and Anthony Hopkins tells him off for not bringing back the virus, which is how you know that IMF are actually just bad to the bone. They wanted this real virus. They wanted the antidote, and he's like, oh, it all got destroyed. And then Naya's record gets wiped. And they go live happily ever after until not even the next film because she was like, I'd rather have real children and focus on my family than continue to play this role. What a ride this was. I forgot I forgot my favourite line in the movie. What's that? It's when Sean Ambrose is talking to... Oh, they're like monkeys. <laughs> yeah, they're like monkeys. You know women, mate. Like monkeys they are. Won't let go of one branch until they've got a grip of the next. Mm-hmm. Robert Town yeah. hates women. You know, that was the hardest part about having to show you grinning like an idiot every 15 minutes. Yeah, this is what they call getting your gun off. A lot better than the way that bitch is going to die. Can we just run run through, like, lines from this movie? I mean, all right. Go this is it. not mission difficult, Mr. Hunt. It's mission impossible. So it should be a walk in the park for you. <laughs> if I let you know where I'm going, it won't be a holiday. That is factually not correct. 
That punk put a hole in my Versace. One of his only lines that isn't, Ethan! Ethan. <laughs> like, Why? I feel so sorry for Think Rams, because Think Rams is fucking nothing in this movie. I mean, Billy does even worse, but like, I don't give a fuck about John Paulson. Yeah, it's a wild fucking movie. We have our regular segments to wrap up these things. I think they're all going to be a doozy this time. Villain Watch. Now, no offence, Doug Ray Scott. I'm sure you would have made a fine Wolverine, destroying the career of Hugh Jackman. He does not have the chops to carry this movie as a villain, and he is not much of a follow-up to John Voight. He is not a bad performer. I could see him as a henchman or something, but- I as... could see a, a world where this movie is better. And this, this is his big breakout role. I mean, but the thing is, like, for whatever reason, yeah. he had this hot minute where he's casting this and casting X-Men, but he's definitely stepped down from John Voight. Yeah. After this, I'm not saying that the movie is, like, consistently cast, like, huge actors, mm. but the ne- villain of the next movie is fucking Philip Seymour Hoffman. God damn right it is. I'm fresh so off, excited. Fresh off an Oscar win. I'm so excited to see that role again. And, like, I love Sean Harris in his role. And, like, it, that's a similar kind of thing where it's, like, they go back to this well of, like, someone who is kind of small and kind of, like, gets to, gets to have a moment. But this, this just completely falls flat. Yeah, it's like you've got long-haired, insane person Tom Cruise in a film from a Hong Kong director set filmed in Australia, full of Australians. No offence to Tandy Newton, but no one, I don't think, really knew who Tandy Newton was. No one really knew who Doug Ray Scott was. And then your next biggest star is either Ving Rhames, who's in it for three, four, five minutes, Richard Roxburgh... (laughs) Like, Dominic Purcell doesn't have a line. Tom Cruise's cousin doesn't have a line. Brendan Gleeson's alright. It's like, how did this make money? All of that sounds like a formula for failure, but... Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think it is. I think it is. Just Tom Cruise movies sell. Against all and, odds. And he is I magnetic. Mean, <laughs> so. yeah, I mean, that's the thing. It's like, I mean, the, the, the thing that is the best about Mission Impossible is that they have Tom Cruise. Um, and sure it's weird because like Because, like, like, so Jerry Maguire is probably his last out-and-out hit. 273 million dollars the box office. Oh, before no, these. Before yeah. this. So the two movies he does after he does Mission Impossible and Jerry Maguire, then he has two movies which he stars in after that, both in 1999. Both of which are great movies, but it's Eyes Wide Shut and Magnolia. And it's like, neither of those are hits. Eyes Wide Shut did about $162 million. But it's also Stanley Kubrick's last movie, which is the weird sex movie, which most (laughs) people probably saw because of the the behind-the-scenes drama of the fact that Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman were dating. Yes, and... Yeah. Or married at a point. Okay. Yeah, they were married. I, I, it's wild that that's true, but they were married. Not great villains. Stamp isn't much of a right-hand man. You've got all these people here. Brendan Gleeson could have contributed a bit more in another cut of the movie. I mean, there, there are scenes, like there are scenes where he is fun as a maniacal villain, like that bit where he like shoots Ethan Hunt in the chest like eight billion times, and it turns out <laughs> to be Stamp is fun. Mm-hmm. But it's not fun because of anything that Doug Ray Scott's doing. It's all fun because it's so heightened and yeah. so over the top. And John Woo is kind of selling it. And so it's like, it's one of those things where they realise the villain is thin. He has no reason for being anything. And rather than make him sympathetic, they make him cartoonish. No, it's just but, a just bad, 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 bad man. <laughs> yeah, but the, th- but the thing is, it feels like the movie understands that it's kind of vaguely cartoonish. And so it kind of amps everything up. And so mm. performance is over the top, the direction's over the top. And it kind of just about coasts along as working even if there is nothing to the performance really yeah how did tom survive now (laughs) what did they cgi out like cables he has cables there is no net in the opening free climbing scene which he performed seven times and, and tore his shoulder 
And John Woo didn't want him to do it and was scared <laughs> every time he did it. And John Woo is scared of heights. Tom Cruise endangered everyone here. I thought John Woo came with like ideas of stunts. So I, I yeah, assume not this I assume, one. I assume, so I assume John Woo came in with all the gun shooty shooty and yeah, the, yeah, the yeah, motorcycles yeah. and all the, and the car chase and stuff like that. Tom Cruise though starts off the movie and goes, "Yeah, but you know what I like? Don't like driving cars. I like this." Yes, he had to lie to the insurance company so they could get bonded, and he said he would let stuntmen do all the scenes, and he did almost every one of his own stunts. The scene where he's riding the motorbike out of the fire that's tom cruise wearing no protective gear whatsoever could have died could have caught on fire and my favorite one that proves he's an insane human being you know the classic cliche knife just above the eye oh my god no real knife his (laughs) eye insisted it stopped one quarter of an inch from his eyeball they achieved that with mechanical cables and then he insisted doug ray scott put all of his might into the knife to try and make it go into his eye. That's the opening to how a famous actor dies in a hilarious fashion. (laughs) Jeez, I mean, because it does look great. It does. (laughs) Like, that shot of the knife being literally, like, so thin away from the eye looks great. Yeah, it's the most realistic-looking one of those ever, because it's almost entirely real. (laughs) Tom Cruise just wants to die, and he's committing suicide one stunt at a time. Do you reckon that the the end game for Mission Impossible 8, when it comes out, is that Tom Cruise will die in an onset accident. Yes, I do. I think it's all a giant suicide note. My word, this is going to be the worst one of these for a while until he, like, breaks his whole entire ankle or whatever it was he did on one of them. Female agency. <laughs> it's not great. Uh, I like Tandy Newton. <laughs> I am Look, in a world where this movie is better, I am so stoked for her. I enjoy when she shows up in things. She's really good, and she really deserved a role like this, but for it to be good. Like, I feel creepy saying it, but, you know, she's young and she's hot as fuck, and she's this great actress, and, like, this could have been a huge role for her, and she was going to follow it up with Charlie's Angels or whatever. And it's like, this could have been everything for her, and it's so bad, and she is subjected to so much sexism, (laughs) where they are saying heinous shit, her role is heinous, they have her tits up to the eyeballs, and, like... Has she turned down a bond i don't know i feel because i feel like she's maybe so... this was like she was like no i did one of those no thank you well that's the thing is because it feels so much like the kind of thing that you would have got her to do. and obviously she the way the hollywood structure nowadays she's too old to play a bond girl sadly yeah but i don't it just feels like one of those things where like was she offered die another day like two years later or were they like scared to hire her for it because maybe. she'd done this maybe and also like you know she enters the film as a specialist who's got skills and can you know like look after herself a little bit and, and then, then they use none of them she's just damseled until the end and then they're like oh also could you just throw on the smallest t-shirt you own and just stand on some cliff tops and stuff and look breathless like what a waste of tandy newton who is a great actress and obviously a bond girl role isn't like it's not like the height of of an actress's, like, dream roles, but, like, it's an iconic thing, and, like, some of them have been really good, and, like, I don't know, it would have been great for her if this had been huge, and... I mean, fair enough, like, she chose not to do the third one because she wanted to focus on her family, and, like, you know, family is more important than dumb Hollywood movies. And it's not like she's not had any success in her career, it's just... Oh, 
my word. And she did that fucking Chronicles of Riddick movie where she's the villain or something. Ah, oh. this is bad because she is fine, but like it's she the way seemed that everyone... game for it. Like she's yeah. she's trading barbs with Tom Cruise and like she's sultry and a good actress and everything. And she's... it's just the way that everyone talks about her yeah, that makes it awful. And she's like the only woman in the movie, <laughs> I believe. Is oh, that God, true? Is that true? I think that might be true. That's Other fucked. than people at the racetrack and stuff. Uh... I think she's the only woman that speaks in this movie. Oh, God. I think that's true, then. Oh, my God. Fuck this movie. It's amazing. <laughs> it's awful. Apart from Catwoman. <laughs> yeah. This is the worst movie we've done. <laughs> in all of our film podcasts. This is worse than any episode of television we've covered. Worse than, like, even the worst MCU movie. Oh, yeah. God, yeah. We will sit here and tell you about how amazing it is when Tim gets kicked into a tree. I mean, that's that's the only comparable episode. The, the movie, isn't it? It's Incredible Hulk. is the only one that's kind of, like, <laughs> batting a similar thing. But even that doesn't have, like, the active contempt that this movie has for Naya. One woman! <laughs> No agency! You failed female agency as a concept. But but really, we have to talk about those. Uh, the, the Limp Biscuits on fucks. <laughs> Look, I like it, alright? It's objectively bad, but I like it. Because it came out when I was 11 or 12, and I owned about four CDs, and this was one of them, and I listened to it a lot, and you can't take that away from me. <laughs> that is fair. We're now six years away from the next Mission Impossible movie. <sighs> My God, my God, they tried to kill it dead, but they couldn't do it. That's the thing is, like, Tom Cruise single-handedly gets the next movie made. Like, this is the highest-grossing movie of 2000, which should mean that the next movie goes into production, like, almost immediately. No, 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 my friend. John Woo's not coming back. Many actors' careers were destroyed, and... So why, why does John Woo not come back? They didn't I'm ask sure, him I'm back. sure, but why? What's the reason? Was it just this movie was so... The cinematographer quit after a month, and he turned in a three-and-a-half-hour cut. Why do you think they didn't ask him back? It sounds like he was... And I think him and Tom Cruise clashed quite a lot as well. Okay, that, that probably explains it more. It's because Tom Cruise literally gets to pick who he works with. Yes. But it's one of those things where, like, when you direct... In 2000, a half-billion-dollar a half grossing movie, almost entirely, presumably, from, like, US money. I'm, I'm intrigued now. How did this movie break down internationally? $215 million, $330 million international. What the fuck? So it made more internationally than in America. Yeah, what the... That is not the kind in of the thing year that 2000. In 2000. 94 a... million of that came from Japan. That movie almost grossed $100 million in Japan. That's not possible. <laughs> I'm sure, but that's got to put it in like the highest grossing Western movies in Japan ever. I, I feel insane. It is insane. The whole thing is insane. Will there ever be a movie like this again? Has there been one since? No, Cats. Cats hasn't made $500 million, has it? God, no, Cats is a complete bomb. You, you know what movie probably feels like the most like this? Where, like, it what? arguably should have killed a franchise, but yeah. probably made more money than it had any business to? Too Fast, Too Furious. Oh, yeah. <laughs> or, like, or, like, any of the Transformers, really. Oh, God, those things. They got China behind them. They're never going to fail. This has been an insane journey for the secret agent men. The Bourne supremacy is going to be one hell of a palate cleanser. We will see if this one is actually good after I hyped Bourne Identity so much and then found it's eh. 
okay. Supremacy is the best reviewed one, so let's trust the critics and we'll go watch The Bourne Supremacy and be back with you all next week. Go to entertherealworld.com, check everything out. Maybe I've burned the site to the ground in just consternation at what happens in Mission Impossible 2 by then. I don't know. I feel if you, our listeners, do not make this the most listened to episode in, in <laughs> Enter the Real World history, then Justice. you have done a disservice. Justice for this episode, because we sat and watched it, and I'm going to try and find a three and a half hour cut of Mission Impossible 2 on I, the dark web. I had a lazy, a lazy Sunday where I text you at like stupid o'clock in the morning to say that I was watching this. My partner joined me, and I think she made about five minutes before she's like, this movie is shit. It is shit. It is shit. <laughs> And it's brilliant. She was, she was actively annoyed that she had to be in the same building as me whilst I watched this movie. Not even the same room, the same building. <laughs> I know what you're doing in there, Ben. Secret. Hey.